Thank you all for coming. This is a happy hour panel of the Devalued podcast. Please welcome Michael Ackley and Carolyn Bowman as our hosts. With our guests, Alana Royale and Megan Loveless. Uh, they're going to take it away from here, but thank you all for coming out. And please uh, get your Avondale Brewing free beer at the, uh, at the bar here. Thank you to them for giving us that. And make sure to chit-chat with everybody afterwards. Let's uh, make it a bit of a mixer. So, here we go. Thanks for that introduction, my friend. So, Caroline, um, why don't we start today? Let's put that in context for these people. Well, uh, I ran into you right after quarantine. This is working. Thank you. Okay, nice. <laughs> I ran into you right after quarantine, and our very first thing we needed to talk about was how art and money coexist, and what, how, how are we doing this? What's going on? And uh, we realized a lot of people were probably having that conversation in private. Everybody we know, maybe everybody <laughs> in this room. Maybe if we had it in public that we could start sharing ideas um, and helping each other. Exactly. So tonight, our panel discussion is, how do we do this, make a living in the arts? So um, did you guys like come to Nashville with the dream of making it in the music industry? Um, sorry. Um, I mean, I went to, to college for music business, but I, I definitely have been interested in the, the label side of things for a long time. Um, and that was kind of always my goal, was to be A&R for the record label. That was the big dream. So um, that, that is kind of what I do now. So yeah, and that was the dream. <laughs> what do you do now specifically? Um, so I do marketing and project management for Third Man Records and booking for our venue, The Blue Room. Um, and I also run my own small side label called To Go Records. <laughs> what about you? Did you come here? Yeah, applaud for that woman. <laughs> Um, hey everyone, my name is Alana Royale, so I'm an artist, I live here in town, and I did not move here to actually be an entertainer or a songwriter in any way, shape, or form, because if this is like a safe space, if this is like a safe space where I can be honest, yes, for real, because that's not a very strong response, y'all. Yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> when one person's like, yes, you're like, no. <laughs> Um, so a lot of people in Nashville don't know this. I, it does kind of follow me around, but when I was younger, I actually was in a production deal with, um, these two men who produced all the Coheed and Cambria records. And I was in a very well-known mall punk band and I had like shirts and hot topic and I did this whole thing. And it's a very big punchline in my band about this thing that follows me around. And still to this day, it follows me around. People now message me saying I grew up on your music, which is an offensive thing to say to somebody. And um, so when I moved to Nashville, I was like, I had already been through the system a little bit. I worked with Epic Records when I was younger. I worked with a couple other majors here and there. And it was like, okay, I actually want to work on the side of the industry that I want to help artists grow and make money and do cool shit and not necessarily do like the music side of things. Um, so I moved here and I started working at the pharmacy 
waiting tables and applying for like admin jobs like at BMI and you know all these other organizations and I literally couldn't even get an interview like I graduated from Berkeley and like no one would even interview me for like a bullshit dumb dumb job so I like maybe three months into living in Nashville met Mike Grimes and he saw I had a Michael Jackson tattoo and he chatted me up and then a year later I was playing Bonnaroo so I just couldn't get out of this fucking system. That's like, it's like the incarceration system. It's like, I can't get out of it because we haven't built a way to help people succeed in the real life <laughs> because I keep getting trapped back in here. And now I've been touring and living in Nashville for a decade. And this is just the life that I was meant to lead. It's a life I really love and I feel really good here. I think I was kind of tricking myself by trying to get out of it, but here I am. I always thought that Coheed and Cambria were just two guys named Coheed and Cambria. But I guess that's not. That Most people think it's a woman named Coheed and Cambria. So you were already a little bit closer. Yeah. So the question that we always ask our guests is Do you think art and money go together? And Megan, why don't you start? Um, I think they do, unfortunately, in our <laughs> current society and time, you know, capitalism. Um, but I don't think they have to. It depends on if you want to make a living from it or not, um, which you know most of us are trying to do. Um, so yeah, it's hard to like put a price um, on art or like a value on it. Um, but yeah, I think it does. I think art and money go together because at a very base level, you at some point in your life have to spend money even when you make art whether you're paying your bills whether you're buying supplies whether you're working with another artist to help you do something even if no one else is going to see it i feel like money is an inescapable sort of part of our lives so whether it's art or sports or beer or podcasting there's money involved somewhere along the line and it's something that hovers over us all the time and we can't really escape it so we might as well confront it I have a good question, I think. Uh, <laughs> so I wanted to kind of, it was, it's cool to have you both here. Also, it's Women's History Month, so it's cool to like unintentionally have women. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're like totally cool in doing it. Shout out to women. <laughs> so cool. Sorry, you can be here too, though. Um, so I, since we have a woman who's on kind of the label side, the, uh, I, we were talking about how we kind of feel like narcs in the whole industry because we're like the, the people <laughs> yes. have to be like okay we have to think about the bottom line a little bit and uh, mm -hmm. someone who works with labels I kind of want to ask about the relationships that you've had uh, with people from various roles so um, Megan I want to ask you what you look for when scouting bands both for your independent label and third man because I'm sure those are different things and then Alana after that I would like to know what you look for in a label that you want to work with okay so yeah very different uh, for to go versus third man obviously but um, for to go it's very like local local based small like indie tape label we're just trying to help uh smaller artists get started um so like bands that have never had any of their music online on spotify we're just helping them get started um or you know get tapes out there um 
yeah, kind of just like launch themselves, get them shows. Um, yeah, bands that have just played their first show. So kind of at that level. Um, what we look for for that is just like people that we're excited about. Um, whether it just be like, there's this band called Budge in town that are really young. Um, and that's an example for me. Like we booked them their like first show and that was really exciting. So it's just like, just anything locally that excites us is kind of what To Go does. Um, and then for Third Man, um, very different. <laughs> yeah, so it's it varies at different levels, but obviously we have a very distinct like brand. Um, and I would say like we look for artists that kind of know what their brand is, um, what their look is, what their what their sound is, and they've like kind of made a buzz around themselves, um, whether it be from like playing shows um, or just like online presence. Unfortunately, online presence is a big part of it too. Um, yeah, and I mean, I think being excited about something that still plays a big part in like what we uh sign for third man as well um a lot of like seeing bands live um and being just wowed by them that's that's kind of a big part of it um i will say that the first band i ever signed um the paranoids definitely um the the way that i signed them was they just sent me a video of them playing live in their studio and it was like during the pandemic um they had no ac they were like sleeping in the studio and just like traveled in a van like to a few few different states over just to record and uh they sent me this video of them playing live um for one of our like video series that we were doing at the time called third man public access and they were having so much fun in this video and it sounded incredible and you can just tell that they like loved playing together and like this was their thing uh and you could just tell so much about the band just from that one video of them playing together and that's kind of what made us sign them so um yeah it varies for different things but i think we really look for you know you could tell that people are really plugged in in all aspects um really know what their brand is, what their look is, what their sound is, um, and just like brands that we can really help take to the next level. Um, so I've, over my years of being an artist, I've worked with a couple of different labels and you know, I've had a really valuable experience working with multiple labels because everybody runs things a little bit differently. I've worked with like super small indies to like bigger indies and uh and major labels when i was much younger and now i'm at a point in my career especially because the internet has changed everything so much that i've really had to decide for myself where do i feel i'm lacking where do i feel i need resources and being an artist and really having an honest conversation with yourself about where you feel you need help <laughs> where you accept help where you even admit where the help is 
that's a hard conversation. I think that's like a first step. And so I recommend to anyone who wants to work with a label to like really audit yourself and like really have a hard look about what you're doing and like why do you want to work with a label, you know? And then to the next step, it's like, okay, well, which label would you want to work with? And there's a lot of super dope labels out there, a lot of people doing really cool stuff. But not every single one is right for me. And I've had to kind of go back and forth. And, you know, I worked with one label that was like, I really love what you do. You're cool. We really like this song. Let's do a single deal. And so I did a single deal. And then they were like, well, the rest of the record doesn't really fit with, like, our roster. Okay, I've had another label be like, this is a super dope record. We love you. But we just signed another artist that's in a very similar vein as you. And we're like dumping all these resources so we can't bring another artist and it's going to kind of like cut into like what they do. You know, sometimes it's timing. Sometimes it's the right people. Sometimes it's the one one single person who's like, okay, no one else is like going to get this, but I'm going to like champion you. But the biggest place that the, the biggest piece that I'm missing at the place I'm in right now, I feel like is like, if I'm going to work with you, what can you do for me? Because the reality is the landscape is so different. Everything is, it's not really level, but you know, it's, there's a lot of opportunity out there and you don't necessarily need someone platforming you because we all have an ability to platform ourselves. So I've had to be like, okay, well, what do I want from a label? Like, what do I really want someone to do for me? And that's been the most interesting thing to look at is like some labels specialize in doing these things more. Some, you know, with Third Man, you have like wax collectors and wax specialty and people who like buy records in the vault. And like this is like a strong thing with Coal Mine Records, who I've worked with for many years. They're vinyl sellers, they're vinyl collectors. There's a whole community of people who would just walk up to my merch table and buy one of every color of the same 45. And I'm like, this is all the same. I just want you to know these are all the same songs. And they're like, yeah, I know, I want them all. And I was like, okay. Like, I wouldn't do that, but sure, okay. And then there are other labels where it's like niche, you know, like, or like a major niche, like Verve, where it's like they take old jazz records, they own all this, you know, jazz ball, and then a couple new artists here and there. So you really have to ask yourself, like, as an artist, like, why would I work with you? What do you have that I need? And I think that's the most important part right now. As an artist, do you feel like labels are becoming less and less relevant? Or is it just the money that keeps artists tied to labels? I don't think labels are less relevant. I, And I can say this as an artist who's worked with Coal Mine Records, is like, <laughs> anything that comes out of Coal Mine, there's like a lot of people around the world who will just buy it. You know, Duran Jones Indications, Monophonics, you know, Say She She, like all these bands where people are like, I'm just buying these records because I trust Terry Cole's taste. I trust what he's doing. And so, <laughs> I, I know there's some people, <laughs> yeah, everything they put out. And it's like, and it's crazy because one of the singers in Say She She did all the back and vocals on El Michael's records who worked with, you know, Amy Winehouse and Beyonce and has his label Big Crown. And so like, I'm a big crown stand. That's like a label where it's like, I trust the taste level of these people. Anything they put out, I'm going to listen to and I'm probably going to buy it. And WIC, super dope too. Daptone. So you have these labels where it's like, we. it's not just the music, it's not their marketing, it's not their the way their bands look or even the music they make. It's sort of like, we've created this little world for ourselves. So I think it's like the internet. It's not that anything is completely devalued or defunct or not necessary anymore. I think it's more like everything is so fucking niche, you know? And now you have, like, to-go records. And it's like, what we're going to do, cool. I want to listen to some, like, 
I'm assuming heavy music, some garagey music, some punky music. I'm assuming. Yeah. So it's like, cool, I like this. I'm going to go for this. I'm going to like follow this label and it's going to take me down all these rabbit holes. Well, as an artist, like, what do you do that you didn't have? What do you do now that a label used to do for you? Sell records. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to work with a label who's going to help me sell more records and help me produce records faster as far as like production and manufacturing goes and labels I work with are like oh I have a vinyl plant that I work with and you know got a groove or any of these other label uh, manufacturing facilities that will hold a certain number of places sometimes for labels where they're like okay can you tell us what your release schedule is for the next year we can fit you in here and here and they can help me get my record and when I run out of those records, they can replenish it way faster than me just like walking up and being like, hey, I have a project. Can you do this for me? So definitely like as someone who sells physical records a lot, I'm not really like an online person. I'm not like a streaming person. You know, Bandcamp is kind of where I put a little bit more of my focus, I guess, because I like the platform. But like selling physical is like the biggest part. So having a label who can like support me and help beef me up there, that's really important to me. I had a little question about uh so there's a, a push and pull with artists and labels about the timing of releases so an artist will make an album they're so excited about it right and they're like let's put it out tomorrow and the label's like no it's gonna be like two years uh and I just yeah, want to see. I know I need to know <laughs> I'm because to feel it's sick. it's hard. It's hard for both parties because the one party is like I'm on the hook for a lot of money and I need to make that back. On the other hand, the artist is like, what if I lose my connection to the art that I made over this time because that time of my life is gone. Um, so what? How do you balance those two things? Um, on the label end, I would say. You know, it's just about giving whatever album or release uh, its best chance. Um, and with production timelines still backed up, <laughs> takes longer um, than it used to. Um, I think there's still like at least six, seven months to turn a release around. Um, and you know, in that time, you really want to make sure that everything is planned and like every realm has been thought of for this release, like to give it its best chance. Um, yeah, so it's like, yes, I get the wanting to release it immediately because it show it's like your art right now, but in order to like give it its best chance, I still think that, yeah, we're unfortunately tied to these timelines. Um, unless you're just like, I just want it out there and I don't care who listens to it and yeah but I think yeah in order to really market it and give it its due timeline it takes at least like seven months right now <laughs> unfortunately um so She's doing this to me. She's making me talk about this because this uh, super talented woman is finishing the art design and layout for my next record currently, and we're like literally wrapping it up right now, and the record is not coming out tomorrow. <laughs> and I started it in January 2020. So 
I, yeah, let that fucking sink in for a second. I woke up on New Year's Day like, this is my year. I'm about to make the album of my life, January 2020, and then I fucking Thelma and Louise run off the cliff, but I was alone. <laughs> and, um, and so I like, you know, I have for the last couple of years fought through things that we all experience. You don't have to be an artist to have experienced what we all went through these past couple of years and then to finally have it done and to think about where I was in the headspace where I wrote these songs before January 2020 and then I had all the time in the world to sit through songs, write new ones, change them out and where I was before January 2020 to the songs that I wrote that I last minute added during my sessions of 2020, 2021 to where I will be when this record comes out in 2023. Imagine like the emotional roller coaster of all that and being like, how can I call this record done? <laughs> because I am not the same as I was. And a lot of times we make records and it's like, I wasn't the same as I was when I started, but obviously this was like just dramatized to farther than, I mean, I love the drama, but this was a lot more than I could even handle. So I had finished one song that was fully mixed and mastered before I finished recording the rest of my record. And I was just sitting in, the, in, in my house in the pandemic being like, when this is over, whatever that looks like, I don't have anything to like show for it because there was so much talk from fucking all these music journalists. Like, we should all be making the best art of our lives. Like, yeah. musicians and artists should be coming out of this like fully, like with a fucking brand new catalog and all this and that. But you know, when everything shut down, my mom, who lives in New York, also fucking was diagnosed with cancer. So I wasn't really in a headspace where I was going to make the best work of my life. I was just trying to fucking survive and like make sure that I was like getting up and going for a walk every day because I was really struggling. So I had one song finished and I was like, I just got to put it out because I'm not putting anything out. Like I'm just sitting at home doing nothing. And, you know, people on my side just kept being like, you should wait, you should wait. No one is doing anything right now. You should really wait. And I waited and then I got signed and I had an amazing run with this one song. And I was like, oh, dope. Now people can hear this song and now they know what's coming on my record. Now I have to put this record out right now. I can take my time finishing it, not feel the stress and panic of like having to have an album when this thing is over or whatever. And that timeline really hurt. It sucked. And now I listen to my record and I'm just like, wow, <laughs> it's really a mind, mind fuck where I started versus where I am now. But sometimes it's necessary, especially as an artist to inform where you go next. You make something, sometimes you turn it off and you don't go back to it for a while. And then you go back, you revisit it, you work through it, and then it really takes you to a new place when you start your next project. And I think there's something to finishing something and putting it out right away, but I think it's okay to come to terms with like giving something some time and letting it live its full life, for real. So you would recommend the single, letting the single breathe for any amount of time before the full album i think yeah and especially if everyone in your team is like hey this is something really special let's not just fucking throw it up and like like wiffle ball it out for nothing you know what i mean you only get to do that one time and especially in this day and age we're like remember there was this uh, crazy train accident in ohio when was the last time we thought about that that's a fucking serious thing that happened and the internet and our brains and everything moves so fast that when you put something out, you've really got to consider how long can I get people to sit with this? And I put everything I have financially, emotionally, mentally into this. I don't want to just like throw it away. 
everything deserves its time because you worked really fucking hard to do this thing. You fought incredible odds to make something. So you deserve the time. Let it marinate. Don't be afraid to let it sit. You mentioned the word team, um, which is a weird word. I think that a lot of artists don't <laughs> resonate with, with, with teams because they're like, I'm making this creative stuff on my own and, and they only think about the creativity. Mm. But, but everybody needs like people around them that are going to do the stuff that artists don't do. Mm. So what advice would you give to artists that don't have a team, let's say? Well, first of all, yeah, I would say first of all, uh, how do you build a team? Well, first you go to therapy to work through. <laughs> I'm serious, because this world will make you think that you should be able to do everything on your own. And this world will make you feel shame that you need people. And every single person in this room needed someone today to do a basic thing in their life. You know what I mean? So a team doesn't have to be a manager, a label, a lawyer, your fucking publisher. Like that doesn't have to be a team. This woman, I would consider part of my team because she's someone who has been behind me and has said things to me that have made me feel like super validated and energized me to push forward. You know, my brother is part of my team. He doesn't fuck, he goes to law school. He doesn't give a fuck about the music industry, but he gives a fuck about me. He's part of my team. So shake off the shame that you have to do anything by yourself, first of all. Second of all, encourage the people around you coming closer. Like you look at Daptone as a really good example of people who like created their own team. They literally were like, hey, we all like doing this thing, right? We're all pretty good at it. Why don't we like just see where this goes and have fun with it? And that's turned them into like some of the most like, you know, esteemed players in the industry these days. If you keep working and you keep opening your own doors, keeping yourself, you come to events like this, you meet people, you listen, you take in other people's stories, like keep a fucking open mind, your team will come and it won't just be a manager. I don't have a manager. I literally work night and day, every fucking day until I can't even make myself oatmeal in the morning because I'm like, there's no time and there's no energy for oatmeal. <laughs> Sorry, I was just having a flashback to this morning. and. And so I, I work constantly all the time. And then I've been able over the years for someone to be like, hey, I noticed that you do this thing. You should meet this person who can help you do this thing. And I'm currently talking to a manager right now that I don't need to manage me. I just need her to help me with my sound exchange. Can you go through sound exchange and help me get all my fucking catalog together because it's kind of spread out and I don't have the time. Cool. You want an hourly rate? You want a day rate? What do you want? Cool, we work it out. And now you're part of my team, but you're not my manager. I don't have to run every single thing by you. I found a way to like accomplish something with one person. And you just keep going like that until you build your own little house, you know what I mean? And at the same time, know when to let people go. Sorry, I'm a child of like multiple divorces and I've learned the hard way when it's time to let people go. Oh, is that funny to you guys? Is my traumatic childhood hilarious? <laughs> <laughs> I've had to learn when to let people go and when you're building a team you have to know that too it's not personal it's just like you know Blacklisted is one of my favorite hardcore bands and they have a record called when people grow people go and that's so true it's no diss it's just like hey we've done our thing you know I'm sure you've parted ways with artists where it's like this there's no beef here it's just like you're in this place and I'm in this place and we're going to keep going no one to bring people in and no one to let them go Megan I'm sure you've like maybe accidentally become part of people's teams? Oh, all the time. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. You're a tender heart. You're a sweetheart. That's what happens to you. want to help too many people. Dang it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like it, especially on the label end, like, it really does feel like you are the artist team and you're advocating for them on in every aspect. Um, you know, we have, a, like, like, for Third Man, we have a lot of artists in, at different levels. And I would say, like, some of our smaller artists, you know, I could act as manager for them. I could act as agent sometimes. Like, you just do all of it. Like, you sometimes you are their sole team. Um, but, yeah, I think just having a team is just, like, people that advocate for you in whatever realm. Um, yeah, whether it be a label or an agent or a manager. I mean, you don't have to have any of those things it could be you and your friends doing it yourself um it's really yeah it's just people that advocate for you and as someone who accidentally ended up on Alana's team just because I was a big fan um that's that's what you want you just want to appeal to someone to the point that they're like I gotta help them I just gotta help them out exactly she can't even make oatmeal for herself (laughs) someone's gotta help this woman out well while we're on the topic I wanted to ask what the role of, um, of community has been for both of you in your journeys through the industry it's a hard one um yeah I mean I feel like the Nashville like DIY community is like my family um like I could go to any show in town and just know that I'm going to know people and have friends there and like people I trust which is the best feeling um are there particular venues that you feel are there particular venues that you think are like your home base yeah um dark matter of course um I also run a venue which has become my home I live at the blue room (laughs) um yeah and I just feel like yeah, those people become your, your family, your community, um, the people you're seeing shows with, um, or helping out in the music industry, they just, yeah, they become your community. Um, I feel very supported by everyone in the music scene. I feel like Nashville is so special in that way that, like, people want to support you here, um, especially, like, at the very, like, DIY level, um, just, like, booking shows for the past like what five years um yeah I feel like it becomes really homey here um we get to know a lot of the same people uh that are regular show goers um hard for dating and good for networking yes hard for dating for sure (laughs) (laughs) relatable um yeah I yeah very much feels like family here like I feel like so, for instance, I'm, I'm putting out a uh, music magazine in a week um, that is a look at Nashville's music scene. What's it called? It's called Anoxia. How do people get it? Um, it has a release show at the Blue Room next Friday. Yes, March 10th. Uh, and you can buy a copy then if you want to have, have a copy. They're very limited copies. How much are the copies? They are $20. Wow. Wow, the plug. <laughs> <laughs> the plug. Um, 
<laughs> you can also preset, like you can you can pre-sale it, you can Venmo me $20, you know, we could do that too. Anyway, um, yeah, that magazine is a look at uh, Nashville's DIY music scene from 2021 through 2022. And I did another one that was uh, a look at 2018 um, before that. So this is a second issue. Um, but yeah, I feel like that's an example of like, that is a look at my community, my version of, of Nashville and uh, how like much it feels like family and how supportive it is and yeah. <laughs> Alana, do you feel supported by the local music community here? I do. I really do. I actually feel strongly supported outside of the music community here. I'm a very passionate person when it comes to local politics, queer rights, trans rights. Fuck Billy. Fuck this whole fucking state. Fuck all these people. I'll just like throw that out there real quick. We agree with that. We, that's another we podcast. We don't got time for that. <laughs> But outside of music, I'm a very passionate person across the board for a lot of different subjects. So I've, you know, this year I was the MC and DJ for the National Pride Parade. And so when I had a queen, Vanity, who works at play in one of my music videos, she dedicated a whole night at Tribe for my video release and was like, everybody come watch this thing. And I hosted an event at the Blue Room for Abortion Care Tennessee, and that was with comedians and drag queens. And so all those people show up and they support me because I advocate for them. And outside of music, I found a way to build a very strong foundation for myself in Nashville because the music stuff is going to come. I'm going to play shows. I'm going to meet other people, do session work, write, do all this. That's, you know, that's, we're all kind of in it together. But looking outside of that in Nashville, I've had particularly bonding experiences with people that have meant a lot to me because it's not someone who's like oh well if I'm friends with her maybe she'll put me on a show or like we'll do a session together or whatever this is like people who have nothing to earn from being my friend we all just like show up and support each other and that's meant a lot to me so I think last question here so what, what are your hopes for your new album and then what are your hopes for your your label and your magazine um, well, I got a European agent this year, and so I'm taking a show on the road uh, over to Europe. But yeah, go me! And can I can I just segue real quick one time? Yeah. Okay, real quick about community and about building a team. In my years of touring, I have had so many fucking bunk recommendations from fans for everything. Go to this restaurant. Go to this club. Someone told me to go to a club after show one time, and I showed up, and it was a Go -go, a gay go-go bar that was closing. It was the last night they are open and my band and I were the only people in there and just one guy in a jockstrap dancing. I, I'm like, sorry about that. <laughs> I was like, this party is over. This party has been over. So fans all the time are like, oh, you gotta do this and this and blah, blah, whatever. And it's usually like, okay. And I say, thank you. And sometimes I explore it and sometimes I don't. I had a guy from Paris reach out to me who uh, had bought my record and he was like, you got to come to Paris and play. And I was like, I will, but I was like, I really don't want to go without an agent. Like I can go without an agent, but I really don't want to. I need someone to like protect my ass while I'm over there. And he said, oh, well, I know I work in a music club in Paris and I know an agent and I can hook you up. And I was like, sure, bro. Cannot <laughs> wait to see this fucking like dude in fucking Groucho Marx like, costume. <laughs> like, hello. <laughs> That was my French accent. I don't know. So, uh, <laughs> they say bonjour. Bon oh, yeah. 
will let them know that my email, my contact is out there in the world. They can email me. And then I get an email from this agent, and I know exactly who they are. It's an excellent European agency, and they were the first agency to bring the Dap Kings and Neil Francis and all these other amazing artists to Europe for the first time. And they were like, we already thought you had representation over here. We would love to work with you. Boom, you're going over in June and July. It's done. And I was like, holy shit, one time it actually fucking worked? This is better than the one-man go-go dancing party. So I will say, like, leave no stone unturned. You never know what fucking crazy adventure. A lot of times it's going to be bunk, but there are people out there who are connected who do want the best for you. They love you. They love your art. They love you as a person, and they everybody wants to see you succeed. You know what I mean? So go for that. As far as my new record goes, um, I think my biggest goal is I've set some pretty high creative endeavors for myself with this record. I'm doing stuff that I've never done before that's not just music, accompany, uh, accompanied pieces, visual, uh, orchestrated moments. So like, there are a lot of things that I was like, this is the only way I want to do this. And if I do this, this is where it's got to go. And that's what I said to you before. I've told enough people my plan. I actually told my label over a video meeting, I want to do this video where X, X, and X happens. And they literally laughed and they were like, if anyone can do this, you could do this. I have no idea how the fuck you're going to make this happen. And I was like, dope, I want to do it. So I want to feel fulfilled at the end of the day. I want to say, this is how I want it to be presented. This is what I want people to take away. And this is how I'm not going to settle for anything else. And that's my biggest goal is for myself to walk away from this project feeling really fucking satisfied. That's awesome. Um, yeah, wait, the question was, what are we excited for, right? <laughs> I'm no, like, I what lost are you it. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so label-wise, I feel like with To Go, um, we've been doing these discovery nights um, at the Blue Room, of course, because I like to just cross-promote everything. Yeah. Um, and we do those every couple months, and I feel like those have been really special to me and just having like like three smaller local artists that we choose every two months um to play and just like highlight um to just draw more attention to them um and those always feel very like community driven um and hopeful for me for the, the nashville music scene <laughs> um so I'm really excited about continuing those. Um, we have another one in March. Not March. No, April. April 27th, I'm remembering now. There's just a bunch of dates just <laughs> jumbled up in here. Um, other than that, um, yeah, to go kind of took a break from releases for a second because we were just promoting shows for a while. Um, but I think you know we're still looking for like other local artists this year to work with, and I you know hoping something cool comes our way. Um, so just putting that out there. Um, and then with, with Third Man, um, so many things. Um, we have a huge year coming this year, and I can't give away any secrets. Um, but yeah, it's going to be fun. And I'm doing a, a South by Showcase um, in a couple of weeks for Third Man that I put together 20 bands in two days. Um, and it has a lot of our upcoming projects on it and I won't say which ones. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited for that. Um, 
a lot of cool bands they get to work with this year, and I'm really excited. Yeah. Thank y'all so much for talking with us. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Can I, can I say one more thing? I'm so sorry. I just want to say one more thing. Shoot your fucking shot. Shoot your shot every chance you get. No matter what you're doing in your life, open your fucking mouth and say something. Because, because I don't know if y'all know who Prince Paul is, but he's one of my favorite producers of all time. He produced De La Soul's Three Feet High and Rising. He's like one of the most iconic people in hip hop culture. I DM'd Prince Paul and he wrote me back and he, he gave me his address and I sent him my record with a t-shirt and everything and he wrote me, I wrote him like a letter inside this package and he wrote me back a whole fucking long letter to me about what it meant to him to receive such a special thing from me and we talk on the regular now. Listen, I'm not, I don't, y'all probably don't have the level of charisma that I have <laughs> or the looks, but shoot your shot at all times because Prince Paul is my internet friend now and if I can do it you can do it thank you so much have an Avondale beer please they're free so just have one um, thanks for listening and we'll see thank you guys. on the internet bye <laughs>